You're listening to Tatiana Is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Stephanie. And this is not a spoiler-free podcast. We will be discussing the series in its entirety, which as of this recording is up through the end of season two. And this week we are talking about Mrs. S, International Badass. And I am very excited. I think she's really, really our best guest ever is here this week. And and it's my partner, Susan. Yay! Hi! <laughs> and the oft-referenced Susan. Yes. This is, this is she. And, uh, Susan has, has many diverse interests. She is a professor of anthropology. And I'd actually would like to have you come on sometime and maybe talk to us about kind of the anthropological stuff going on in Orphan Black. Oh, heck yeah. But this week she's here to talk about Mrs. S because you have a huge crush on Mrs. S. Yes, I do. And I also would like to note that I am being played by Tatiana Maslani. <laughs> Aren't we all? She's doing a really great job, Tatiana Maslani. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. So we have tons and tons of questions about Mrs. S. And I kind of feel like this episode may just turn into a giant question asking fast. Is that an overstatement? No, because I think she's the most mysterious character left on the series, really. Now, the more we find out about her, the more questions we have, or at least the most, more questions I have about her. And that's actually part of what I love, is that there's there's always more to find out. I did ask for input on Twitter. And I think uh, people just kind of wrote in with like, we're just going to have a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> sort of the consensus. I think that's fair. But I, th I Chris thought it might be a good idea, since we have so many questions, to try to maybe sketch out a timeline, kind of, for Mrs. S. So where where are we starting with this, Chris? I guess here's here's my thought process, right? Like, they introduce Mrs. S as Sarah's foster mother, and she's kind of clearly not above... I don't want to say manipulation, but kind of manipulation. And so there's just, they keep revealing things gradually and often in kind of reverse order. So that's where I'm thinking, well, let's start from what we know. We know that she was in Brixton and I think she was in Brixton before she adopted Sarah, right? Or, or fostered Sarah, I guess would be the more appropriate term. That's my impression. So she was, I think she makes a reference to being in Brixton. It, probably because if I think she, if she said Sarah was foster, Sarah says she was fostered out at eight, which means that would have been 1992 that they would have been in Brixton. Mm -hmm. And then, no, she was adopted at eight. Excuse me. She was adopted when she was eight years old, I believe is what Sarah says. And then they moved to Canada when Sarah was 12. So that would be 96. So, you know, 1992, at least, she's in Brixton. And like we've mentioned before, there was a lot of political unrest in that area during that time period, a lot of tension with with the local community there who were people of color having a lot of issues with the cops. And clear, you know, we've learned that Mrs. S is very much involved in fighting for change and social injustices. And so I'm kind of like, was she there because of the political unrest, did that draw her there? Because clearly she's probably, she was probably born in Ireland. She's, or she's at least Irish. So how did she end up in Brixton is what I'm wondering. Did the political turmoil draw her there? Or was she already there when the political turmoil arose? 
Right. Because as we saw in an early episode, she was having that discussion with Sarah about how she introduced Sarah to punk rock because, you know, and apparently wanting to get Sarah sort of politically involved, which didn't happen, apparently. Yeah, she says you adopted uh, none of the politics and all of the attitude. Right. I think is what she says. So what do y'all think about why Mrs. S was in Brixton? I don't have, I kind of have the impression that she was maybe born in Ireland, but I I don't have anything to really back me up. That's just sort of my impression. Yeah, that's been been like the one of the big questions of of mine too is if because i think she was probably born in ireland and how did she get to brixton and was she brought there or drawn there by sort of her lefty friends i wonder if maybe she might have been drawn there by carlton because clearly they have a very deep history so you know how she ended up there i think that's a that's still a huge mystery right i do think that it seems likely, I think it's a fair assumption that she is Irish and that, I guess, I, I find it believable that she'd be there for reasons of, of political intention. Does that make any sense at all? It does. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because it was uh, one of the places that was kind of ground zero for the the protests of everything that was happening in sort of the waning days of the um, Thatcher government. Where you had in industrial cities, uh, all kinds of stuff with the state and people of color. You had all kinds of stuff with the state and laborers and things being privatized. And so there was a, a whole lot happening. And, you know, I guess why Brixton and not Birmingham or any other place that was having unrest is a kind of a separate question. But I can definitely see if she was sort of tapped into this lefty social justice kind of community that there would be a pull to go to where the problems were. Mm-hmm. And of course, we know that she's, she knows more about Project Dyad, or, or Lita, or possibly even Castor. We, we know she knows more than she's said. Yes. So mm-hmm. then that brings into the question of, well, when did she find out about that? Right. Mm-hmm. And how much of that did she know before taking custody of Sarah. Right. Right. Cause she, cause she says that, you know, there was a rumor that some of the kids in Carlton's pipeline had been subjected to medical experiments. Right. So when did she find out what yeah. all that involved? Right. Right. Because did she take in Sarah? It was sort of a act first, ask questions later and then piece together stuff about Dyad. Or did they know about the project when Carlton showed up and said, I need you to look after this, this child. I, I, too, am wondering the sequence of events there. Right. And we know she was involved with some dangerous stuff, too, because there was the talk about how she sold arms to fund political activities. So, Right. That she, uh, what is what is Brenda saying? Something along the lines of that she was more interested in uh, cleaning Kalashnikovs than in, in cooking and doing all that stuff. So, yeah, she's clearly this is a a part of her life beyond just that she got sucked into this situation with Sarah and Project Lita, that there's clearly a lot of political stuff and and revolutionary stuff kind of swirling around her. I actually wonder if she was in the IRA. Hmm. That had crossed my mind, too. I think we have maybe talked about that before some. Not on the show, just while watching. 
because it would it would fit sort of with the with the timeline and it would not be unheard of for um cuz the you know the IRA really stepped up a lot of actions on in in England um during that time that that could have been also how she ended up from Ireland to to England as part of a an IRA action or IRA cell hmm but then of course you know after she takes custody of Sarah they move to Canada so then mm-hmm. then my question is well how long was it between Sarah coming to stay with her and them leaving for Canada? Right, because it's at least four years. Oh, that's right. It was. They yeah. did say that. Never mind. Mm-hmm. Though I do wonder, because Sarah said she was adopted at eight. But did she have any other foster parents before Mrs. S? Mm-hmm. And when did Felix enter the equation? Yeah, that's that's right. another big question I think a lot of people have, because clearly... Mrs. S had reasons for adopting or fostering Sarah. You know, Carlton comes to her and says, you know, this is a, a or a child in the black and I, I need her hidden. And when it comes to Felix, was he also some, a kid who was involved in a medical experimentation of some way? But yeah, well, how did she end up with Felix too? Did she have similar reasons for taking him in? Yeah, I think a lot of people their minds jumped to that too because you know why else would she have him or somebody emailed us wondering if maybe mrs s thought that it would be easier to hide if she had another kid with them too Mm -hmm. so i don't know i mean i have no clue well and and you know as with that story sort of unfolds i think that something that's interesting is you know we're introduced as introduced to mrs s as sarah's foster mother and then you know the Kind of first couple times we see her, she's this middle-aged woman in a cardigan, right? So it's really easy to imagine that, well, she was just this nice woman who, you know, signed up to foster with Department of Family Services and, you know, went through all the home visits and, you know, these two troubled young people ended up in her home and, you know, that, she, that she's just sort of a bystander in all this. And then the more we learn about her, you know, this is clearly not your your standard foster family arrangement that the state gets involved in, and I, I kind of love that it becomes this this onion that that we peel, um, that we start to see how complex she is from that sort of you know image of her on the on the porch when uh, Felix and Sarah show up at the house to yeah, stabbing somebody through the hand with a meat fork is uh, it's quite the journey. <laughs> Right, because I think it's interesting that in the first episode of the series, we see Mrs. S, but she doesn't actually get any, you know, vocal lines on screen. We 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 hear her on the phone. I don't know that we hear her side of the conversation, but we see Sarah call her and, you know, they have a troubled conversation where clearly she says, I'm not going to let you see Kira. And then later she shows up at Sarah's fake funeral and Felix talks to her and sort of gets her and, and Kira to leave. And she's very much this kind of threatening presence to Sarah, but just in regards to Kira. And she's kind of like that through the first part of the season. She sort of seems like she's just going to be there to create interpersonal conflict around Sarah's child. But boy, does she turn out to be so much more important to Sarah discovering who she is than, you know, than you would originally have thought. Right. Which is something Orphan Black is so good at doing. Yes. Yes. 
in regards to other things that we sort of saw in the first season with Mrs. S, you know, I definitely we see her relationship with Sarah shift. They're very, very hostile and at odds in the beginning. And by the end, we're seeing some actual kind of maternal feelings <laughs> emerge more towards Sarah from Mrs. S. But then we, ha- of course, at the end of the season, are, are left with this really overhanging, shadowy fact about the fact that she goes through Amelia's possessions and finds this photo. And and then Amelia says, you know, don't trust Mrs. S, etc., etc. And I don't know if we've entirely resolved that. I, I still am, sort of feel like there's that threat that Amelia made, or, or warning that Amelia made about Mrs. S hanging over things in a way. I, I still feel like we haven't quite unraveled what all she knows in regards to Project Lita. Right, because Amelia says, your foster mother, she's not who she says she is. Right. And it's just like, huh. And I mean, we've got some of that in that we've figured out that she knew about the um, the project and that, you know, she's good with a meat fork and a gun. But I feel like there's more to that than that she's, you know, just not, she's not this nice woman who's going to sit and knit Afghans. She's she's a badass that there's more Amelia meant more than that. Um, I feel like there's, there's a whole other layer that we have to figure out. Right. It, Cause it is one of those, I don't know. I, I wonder what encounter it was that Amelia and Mrs. S had at whatever point. Right. Like I, I, I'm really curious how they knew each other since they seem to know each other. Right. Right. Cause Mrs. S also warned Sarah about Amelia. She says, you know, don't trust Amelia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So many questions. <laughs> I know. I know. It was Dan who tweeted us and said, how much does she really know? And then smiley face. And then in parentheses, I realize you can't answer that any better than anyone else outside the show. <laughs> nope. And I must say, even though they were totally hinting at Mrs. S as a kind of maybe shadier than we thought she was at the end of season one, I still did not expect the cutlery incident. That just was a complete surprise to me. <laughs> Did anybody yeah. expect that? I don't think so. I hope not. <laughs> no. 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 And that, you know, she's willing to to do that. And that she's willing to, you know, to shoot somebody and take them out to protect Kira and protect Sarah. And clearly um, doesn't even really seem all that troubled by it, which I think was what was the most terrifying. Right. Of that, that whole sequence of events at the Birdwatcher's house is, you know, I, I keep contrasting when she shoots Brenda's son. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the just sort of very calm, like level-headed way that she does that with at the end of season one when Sarah shoots Helena and it's clearly like so hard for her to do. Um, to, you know, pull a gun on this person and, 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 pull the trigger and she's shaky and it's really hard for her. And Mrs. S is just so, just so matter of fact about the whole thing. She's clearly done this before, you know? And that was, that was horrifying to me. I was just, ah! I know I was sitting in the room with you when you saw that the first <laughs> that's, time. That's right. That's right. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. And Sarah even makes that comment to Felix in the following episode saying, you know, it was like she'd done it before. And, and yeah, it, again, we see her with her rifle at the end of the first season, but just that level of ability to be violent, <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. that's a weird way to say it, I did not realize was sort of inside Mrs. S at all. Or the fact that she might have been perfectly 
that she might have done those things before. It just never occurred to me. Mm -hmm. Right. And it turns out that Mrs. S was actually a super soldier. (laughs) Perhaps from the same experiment that produced Steve Rogers. Who knows? That was a Captain America reference, Stephanie. Oh, oh, okay. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for laughing, Susan. (laughs) Well, and there's that that moment with... um, Benjamin in the car, right? Where he, you know, he, he says, "I'm not the one that sold you out to the Prolethians," and she says, "I know because if we were, we wouldn't be having this conversation." And it's just like, "Jeez, yeah, I'm so I don't ever want to make Mrs. S mad ever." <laughs> uh, just, I was like, "No, I would totally like kill you." Okay, moving on. I've got biscuits in my pocket. <laughs> you know, it's just like. That was that was the first thing I wrote in the outline when we were planning this episode was unexpectedly terrifying. Yes. Yes. Unexpectedly yes. terrifying. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, cuz I mean especially like we see her, well, the way we see her with Kira and like she's so gentle and like even when when Allison and Sarah come out to her about being cloned, she's so here chicken, let me give you some tea. How terrible. It must have been awful for you. And then we see this other side of her. It's just holy holy hell what's going on here it is mama bear protectiveness mm-hmm. and i love it even though it is terrifying <laughs> no it's it's one of the things that i love most about her character even though it's like it's troubling i really i have a total girl crush on maria doyle kennedy ever since i saw her in the tutors but i what really made me just fall in love with the character with, with Mrs. S as a character was when we started to see that come out. And the more kind of, if you're going to get to Sarah, you got to go through me. She gets the more I love her. Mm -hmm. Me too. I think she also becomes more relatable through that though. Right. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Cause definitely in the beginning of the first season, she very much comes across as an adversarial character. Cause I think even though, you know, personally we can see that, Sarah's not the bestest mother ever, but I think we're still rooting for her. And so we kind of see Mrs. S as somebody being unnecessarily mean and kind of harsh to our hero, her, our main character. So for sure, I think as, as we get more layers to her, she becomes more relatable and, and you, you better understand her as a person. Mm-hmm. I like how for a second I, that sounded like you better understand her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you better. <laughs> Or else I have a meat fork and I know how to use it. <laughs> but I apologize. I kind of get it, got us off of our, our timeline, but we were talking about the bird watchers and we learned in, in season two that, that this is where Sarah and Mrs. S and Felix landed, as she says, when they, when they immigrated from the UK to Canada. And there is sort of this question is why Canada? Why did they move here? Why did they move to Toronto? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, did they come because they had people or, you know, what was that? It was because there was a safe house or, you know, was it easier to emigrate from the UK to Canada then than it was to go someplace else? Or, you know, there's all kinds of different questions about why Canada and why there, why that city? Because you know, of, of all the cities in all the world, she chooses the one where Dyad is. <laughs> like, really? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so it, I've, I've wondered that too, that, you know, why, why there, where they're almost guaranteed to have some sort of run in with the project? Uh, you know, why not go out to 
Saskatchewan or someplace and get on a farm out in the middle of nowhere. And I've seen that same question being asked a lot. And I think a lot of people are sort of speculating then that it can't possibly be a coincidence. Yes. It doesn't seem like it, right? Well, and Mrs. S seems to know Paul. And Paul was right there in the city planted with another one of the clones. So it's almost like does did Beth almost know Sarah was coming? Like there's all this other stuff that flows from that choice that it can't be a coincidence that all this is unfolding in in this city of all the places in all the world you could have gone. Or is it like a keep your friends close but keep your enemies closer kind of thing or hiding right, in plain right. sight? Like what's Right, they'll never look for you here. Yeah. What's the plan here, Mrs. S? <laughs> This seems an odd choice. Because <laughs> according to Car- Carlton, you know, she was supposed to, you know, I forget the exact words that she used, but essentially hide her so that nobody could find her. And then she moves her to the same city where the project is located. Yeah, it just seems yeah, yeah. seems like an odd choice, given that directive. Carlton says, put her in the black as deep as as deep as you can go. Yeah. And yeah, really? Like, really? <laughs> right next door to Dyad. <laughs> Right next door to Dyad. They're hiding in the shadow of the Dyad building. (laughs) They're actually living in the basement. (laughs) Go over to Kasima's lab when they need sugar. (laughs) Right. right. (laughs) Because they're neighbors. I got that. (laughs) For a second, I was like, sugar as in, give me some sugar. But no. (laughs) The harder you laughed, the more I thought your mind went there. Hang on. Hang on, I'm going to a good place. (laughs) And I'm back. Okay. (laughs) But, you know, and then Allison is right out there in Scarborough, so she's practically a local. Sarah says that. Mm -hmm. So it it really makes you wonder. Right. About what, you know, what was the, the ultimate agenda. And I don't know that we'll get that resolved, but I like to think that we will. Because, yeah, really, let's go hide in Clone Central. Yeah. Right? No one will find us here. And nobody did! (laughs) Is the weird thing. And that's the thing, too. That's the thing. Well, maybe it's like, well, there are at least two women who look exactly like you running around this place. (laughs) True. True. Nobody will notice. Good point. But I know when, when Stephanie started asking me about sort of why I love this character so much, I really had to think about it. And um, I think the moment that I really fall in love with her is when she shows up at Felix's place and finds out that Sarah's still alive. And she says, I, I was tempted to claim the remains myself and serve them to you both on toast. And I was like, yes, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> You appreciate a good threat, then. I do. I do. Because it's, it's creative. It, it is. is. Yeah. Because she's not kidding. I think she, she would have done it. <laughs> With the way that Felix sits himself down when she, like, points at him, and it's like, you know, sit yourself down. I, I Yeah. I think they did believe her on some level. Yes. And I believe that's in like, oh. 108. I think that's an Entangled Bank when that happens. Mm-hmm. Your favorite. My favorite. It is. It's still my favorite episode. And not just because everybody gets lucky. There's some good stuff in that episode. (laughs) So I think we got some sense of how Mrs. S was connected to a larger organization still in in this season. In the the first season, it was talked very much in past tense, it felt like. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, my old network, etc., etc. But 
the the second season, it seemed more like even if she wasn't in as deep as she used to be, she still definitely had connection, had contact with a, a, a network of some kind. Though I'm still kind of fuzzy as to what that network looks like. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, is this an informal, you know, kind of militia network? Are they tied into something way bigger? Are, you know, are they t- tied in with the U.S. military? What What is this is still really unclear, it, but it is much clearer that it goes way deeper than, you know, as she puts it, you know, it was a paranoid time on a, on a lunatic fringe, on a radical fringe. It, it's deeper than just a handful of paranoid radicals in, in Brixton. This is, is way, way bigger. And did we ever find out why Carlton was in town when she was looking for him? I don't remember if he says. I don't remember if we, no. It seems like we didn't ever find out because I'm still kind of vaguely curious about that because she was ready to jump on a plane to go talk to him. Right. And then Benjamin's like, well, if you're looking for who I think you are, he's in town. Yeah. I don't, I, hmm. I don't remember if he does say why he's in town. So, hmm. And now I had more questions <laughs> that yes. we didn't even have planned out. <laughs> I've thrown everyone off. But yeah, obviously she knew how to get in touch with the bird watchers. And then I think what we see in the episode where we, where we meet Ethan Duncan, that she seemed to still be part of an active community that was sheltering Duncan in some way, you know, because she, she makes a comment of about the fact that we've been hiding him ever since he came to our side. Mm-hmm. So it seems like she's at least been sort of keeping up with the news over the years. She gets the newsletter at the very least. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm trying to remember where where Duncan was in relation to the city, how, like how far out he was. They didn't say. Because if they have him hidden basically in plain sight there, too. Although he was, no, they had to, well, we see him go into that church uh, which is clearly you know, a long drive away, but we don't get a sense that he lives there in that town. No, he lived an hour and a half, I believe is what they said, from that town. I think you're, uh, yeah, that's ringing a bell. Sarah said something about how he was within old man driving range or something. Exactly. Right. And right. so she drove, I think, about an hour and a half from the town that the church was in. But where that church was exactly, they don't, they don't really specify, so... Right, because it was far enough that Helena and Sarah had to stop and, like, camp somewhere, so. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I'm wondering sort of what her, like, how she got picked to help shield Duncan. And, and she clearly, like, she's very gentle with him in a lot of ways. Uh, that You know, that I'll, I'll take care of this. I always do. I'll take care of your birds. I always do. So it, it feels like he's not just a job. That, that there's there's something else there. And I'm really I'm I'm curious about that relationship, although since Duncan has taken his own life, I don't know how much more of that we'll get to really learn about. Here's my headcanon on that. Okay. Okay. It's parental bonding. Okay. Because it seemed like Duncan was still really concerned about Rachel. So I think maybe on some level they kind of bonded over their love for their respective Lita clones. Well, and that, that makes sense because the thing that, that Sarah kind of uses to convince Duncan that they need her help, need his help is, you know, he says, your, your little girls are sick. We're sick. 
and that clearly gets through to him. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Duncan's house, I I love that she was wearing a uh, Pussy Riot t-shirt in that in those scenes. I believe yes. that is Maria Doyle Kennedy's. I I think she did say that. That that's her actual shirt. That would not surprise me. That would not surprise me. That would be awesome. Yeah. Do you follow her on Twitter? You know, I don't. I should. I, I, you should. I should too. She's pretty awesome. That also happens not at, at Duncan's house is we get that really fascinating mm-hmm. scene between Mrs. S and Paul where yeah. she realizes he's sitting outside in, in the car and she goes out unarmed because she's an international badass and with, with tea and biscuits in her pocket and is just like, you know, we need to talk here. Let me tell you your options. I love how threatened Paul is in that scene. I know that he won't drink the tea until she drinks it first. <laughs> I love that. Like, Oh, for God's sake, Paul. <laughs> is that, is it that scene? I forget that you started shipping it, Stephanie. No, it was actually later. It was, it was later with, when they bring Rachel over to see Ethan Duncan. Oh, I know you were shipping it by then. I just wasn't sure if it maybe started in this scene. You know, it might have subconsciously, but it didn't, it didn't fully emerge until Rachel came over to visit Ethan at Mrs. S's house. And we did get a tweet from Megs when I prompted people for questions about Mrs. S. She said, just when it is we're going to get the spinoff for Mrs. Paul International Bad Abs. (laughs) (laughs) So you have at least one fellow shipper, it would seem. Yes. (laughs) See, Stephanie ships Mrs. S, Mrs. Paul International Bad Abs. I ship a Mrs. S in a polyamorous relationship with a shotgun and leftist politics. (laughs) Well, I think she's in that already. I for a second thought you were going to say that you shipped Mrs. S with you. I was going to say, yeah, that's a, I thought that was where Who you were going to Who do you think the leftist that. politics is? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so these are nicknames. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> have, have I introduced you to Shotgun? She's really cool. <laughs> but yeah, I thought the relationship that emerged between... Mrs. S and Paul was very interesting this season beyond the fact that I kind of ship it. I I thought they had some intriguing scenes together. Yes. Bonding over their fondness and frustration with Sarah. (laughs) Yes. Well, and what, you know, I, I guess I've been thinking about too is, okay, so Mrs. S and Paul are acquainted. Were they acquainted before Sarah took Beth's identity? I don't think so. You know, because you never know. Did they meet, you know, through through Sarah? Or is there something else with whatever the larger organization is going on here? Which then adds, brings in a whole host of questions. When they meet in episode 109, Paul doesn't seem to know her. He's just like, oh, hey, what's up? So... Or is he playing it off that he does know her? I mean, I don't think that they actually do know each other before that. But it also wouldn't surprise me if they actually did. (laughs) We're at that point in the show where I'm just kind of like, I don't think that's what's going to happen. But if that is what's going to happen, I I don't think I'll be shocked by it. It wouldn't take a huge leap for me to go on that ride. Like, okay. Pretty much. So do you you think that Mrs. S ships Sarah with, with Paul or with Cal? I'm going to say Cal. You think? Well, because I, I guess my feeling is that she's trying to keep Sarah out of whatever's going on with Project Caster, right? 
That's a good point. Paul's too involved. Yeah, that's a good point. Cal is the, I'm finger quoting here, safer option. Plus, he's Kira's dad. And right. we know how Mrs. S feels about Kira. Cal has demonstrated more protectiveness of Kira than, than Paul has. So maybe that would put also put him higher up on the list. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Cal doesn't have whatever Afghanistan is hanging over him either. Well, neither does Paul, really. <laughs> it was fake. Well, that's true. That's true. But plus, I feel like Cal and Mrs. S could probably have some good conversations about flannel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And maybe chickens. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you guys remember, but like we, the first time we saw Cal on camera, I'm like, that guy totally has chickens. <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> and he did. He totally, he totally has chickens and plays acoustic guitar. <laughs> and he totally did both of and those he things. Totally did. <laughs> Susan called it. <laughs> but yeah, I thought that that what we got between Mrs. S and Paul was very interesting in season two, and we seem to be. It seems to suggest we might get more of that in season three. They were in a helicopter, it looked like, or some sort of transport vehicle at the end there. So maybe we'll see more interaction between Mrs. S and and Paul. I almost called him Mrs. Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Stephanie's just like dreaming it into reality, right? (laughs) I'll just say it until it's true. (laughs) Maybe somebody will write you some fan fiction. (laughs) We should go look and see if there is any already. That's the internet. I'm going to guess there probably is. It doesn't mean you want to read it, though. (laughs) True enough. So how do we feel about what Mrs. S does at the end of season two there in regards to Helena? Obviously, I'm mad at her because Helena. Yeah. But I understand why she did it. It's, It's this recurring theme that we have with a lot of the monitors, right? They do the wrong things, but we know that they did it for a good reason. As we talked about with Delphine recently, it's it's sort of a thing they do. <laughs> yeah, even though Mrs. S isn't really a monitor, she she is kind of in that position. I did. I did accidentally say that or imply that she's a monitor, but let me rephrase. It's a thing that the people close to the clones tend to do. Right. Well, and it's it's almost... Especially when it comes to the monitors, which Mrs. S, at least as far as we know, is not a monitor. That I always think about, they do these things that are kind of, they're amoral, where they're for the protection of the clones. And it makes you kind of think about the larger themes of the show about science and morality and ethics. And it's these sort of decisions on a, on an individual level that these people close to the clones are are making that it would be really easy to condemn like Mrs. S sending Helena off as evil, but it's it's an amoral decision for her. She doesn't do it because you know she hates Helena or whatever. She does it because it's the way that she can keep Sarah and Kira safe. Mm-hmm. And of course, we're in fuzzy territory in terms of morality and ethics, anyway, right? Because right. here's a science. Here's a a corporation that has created as a science experiment these living breathing human beings right and is essentially meddling in their lives i know they say that their goal isn't to but i mean how can they not be right i mean if they're sending in monitors to 
you know, be part of their everyday existence? How can that not influence their existence? Right? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and even just on a biological level, having made the, made, um, the conscious choice to make the clones infertile, all of that is, it impacts their daily life Mm -hmm. and their life trajectory. And the fact that some of them will have, obviously have illnesses because of, of being clones and et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like Mrs. S didn't like what she did in regards to Helena. Clearly, she seems to express some worry for what Sarah will will think of her at the end there. But, uh, yeah, it's like, I understand why she did it, even though I want to be like, but, but Mrs. S, Helena, you know, she's been treated so poorly all of her life. Cut her a break, you know? <laughs> why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Although I do also still feel like... Of all the clones, Helena is the most well-suited to deal with this. True. By which I mean yes. severe violence to free herself. <laughs> yeah. End of season one, it suggested that Sarah can't trust Mrs. S. We see her acting a little shady. Then she appears in season two, and when Sarah directly confronts her and says, you know, whose side are you on, S? And she replies and she says... You know, I'm on yours. I, it's always been yours. But by the end of the second season, I'm like, does she want Mrs. S on her side? I mean, <laughs> it's like she's, you know, she gives up Helena to, to, um, to the army and she's kind of freaking scary. So it's like, <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe that's a reason right there because she's terrifying, but it's almost like kind of the same way with Delphine. It's like she keeps doing these things supposedly to help Sarah, but it actually, poses quite a bit of harm as well well but at the same time it's kind of one of those well she's protecting sarah the way sarah would protect kira so you know what i mean yeah because she does make that statement to paul about how you know she's a mother so to get to sarah she'll have to get through her and to get to kira she'll have to get through sarah well i I feel too kind of like you know there's that conversation i don't remember exactly how it goes between Cosima and Delphine, or basically, Cosima K- says, "If you're, if you want to help me, you have to help all of us. Oh, this you have isn't to love just us about all. me. Yeah. You have to love us all." And I think that Mrs. S isn't there yet. I don't right. think she understands that the clones think of themselves as an us, and that you know, by hurting Helena, she's hurting the rest of them too. That she's just thinking about Sarah and Kira. And she hasn't quite gotten there yet that, that they think of themselves as a unit. Or she might have, but she still is prioritizing Sarah anyway. Right. That's true. Although I, I still feel like perhaps some of her protecting of Sarah is for Kira. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a large part of it, too. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering if she would have been willing to make that deal for Sarah to get a dyad if they hadn't had Kira as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I think she might have, but I think it certainly got prioritized because they had Kira too. Right. I mean, I'd like to think she would. <laughs> I don't think she doesn't love Sarah. I think she cares about Sarah, for sure. But I, obviously, I think her priority is still Kira. Mm-hmm. Well, because Kira's a kid and can't protect herself as well as as Sarah can, you know? Right. And Sarah turned herself over. Right. Whereas Kira was kidnapped. It was 
not a good season for Mrs. S. You know, <laughs> she <laughs> she she walked into the bird watcher's trap unknowingly, and then Rachel walks walks right past her in the hospital and takes Kara. Like she. She might be having some some self-esteem problems at this point. <laughs> was it a good season for anybody, though? I'm sitting here well, thinking true. about it, and I'm like, no, this season was pretty hard on everybody. It was. Right? It wasn't terrible for Art. He got suspended, but, you know, nobody shot him. <laughs> if that's Which the in standard. This world is kind of a baseline, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not like he got a pencil in the eye. <laughs> I was I was like, contemplating making the crack. It was a bad season for everybody, especially Rachel's eye. Yeah, especially <laughs> Rachel's eye. Yeah, I'm wondering if they're going to give her a patch or if they're going to, you know, give her a prosthetic. Yeah, the uh, freaky leaky eye, perhaps. <gasps> oh yeah. Well, you know, and if you if if you got to lose an eye, Diane's the place to do it. Exactly. They could already have a spare one hanging around. They might. So I thought it was interesting to meet. Carlton, I kind of suspected we might see him when when we first saw the photo, but I, I wasn't entirely sure. And it was kind of nice that it ended up being that uh, Mrs. S got some sexy times to go along yeah. with with uh, with everybody else getting some. She certainly yeah. did. Is <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> that shot of her walking down the the staircases? A, you, you know, yes, she's very sexy, but it's also just a really gorgeous shot, I thought. Well, hello, Mrs. S. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of had to take a minute to pull myself together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I, I like that the show is not afraid to show, you know, a, a mature woman who we've seen mostly kind of introduced in this maternal role to show her as a, like really healthy sexual person. That's something I, I really appreciate beyond just that part of the storyline and how well those, those scenes were shot. I really like that. Mm-hmm. And that they cast uh, Roger Cross as Carlton. Roger Cross is a handsome man. He is. Yes. yes. So do we think we'll, we'll see Carlton again? I kind of hope we do, just because I'm curious now what it is that he's been doing exactly. Mm. And they had that conversation where she was demanding the names of so and so, and he said, you know, "Well, this is the ferryman's name," but we, we didn't really see what came of that mm-hmm. information. Right. So, I, I would like to see Carlton again. I think. Oh, well, I think he holds a lot of the story, you know, because he he is literally the link between Sarah. At wherever she came from and her getting to Mrs. S. So there's a lot that I think we can only learn through finding out more about him and, and his story and his role. Right. And we've talked about this before that they don't really do flashbacks on this show. Mm-mm. So that would be a good way to do that is to have Carlton come in at some point and maybe he's got some information for Sarah about her past or something. Who knows? Okay, so... Here's another big question, and this was actually from Celtis or or Celtis. I'm sorry, we don't know how to say her name. So she's Mrs. S as opposed to Miss or Miss, Ms. or Miss. Uh-huh. Is there a Mr. S going to pop up at some stage? I have no idea. I'm curious about that, too. I wondered about that. And Stephanie and I talked about that, that it also wouldn't be unusual, especially in what was probably a, a working class city for for 
in sort of British linguistic cultural norms for her to just be referred to as Mrs., even if there isn't a Mr. S. Mm -hmm. But I do wonder if there's a Mr. S somewhere. Or maybe there had been at one point. Yes. Right. Yes. Because, you know, the Brenda the bird from the Birdwatchers, she mentioned that her husband died. Mm-hmm. So it's not beyond the realm of possibility that due to the circles that Mrs. S, you know, was in that her husband might have died as well. It's I guess it's also possible he might be in prison for the rest of his life or something like right. that. Hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if they were involved in sort of radical politics, or if my theory holds that they maybe were in the IRA, it's entirely possible, either dead or in prison. Yep. I guess I also thought of the possibility that maybe it could have been an alias that she took mm-hmm. at some point and painted herself a widow because it would raise less suspicions if she was traveling with children or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Mrs. S is just so secretive. It's really hard to pin down all of the possibilities. I'm also sometimes amused that we still always consider her Mrs. S, even though we actually know her complete name. <laughs> Because it's Siobhan Sadler, but anytime I see the name Siobhan Sadler, I'm momentarily confused, even though I know that's her name. (laughs) I'm like, why are they not calling her Mrs. S? I just think of her as Mrs. S. I don't know why. I just do. That's Siobhan with a (laughs) B-H. Have you seen the thing on on Tumblr where somebody, like, capped that, screen capped it, and then put text on there of the, the dialogue, and then they had it changed like they showed the the computer screen where it was being typed in and it was B H I O V A N. It's always funny. It is. No matter how many times you see it, that's always funny. And then I believe the person commented at the bottom and said, Come on, Cal. <laughs> I'm actually impressed that he knew it was like S I O. You know, that's it's what? a it's a not common it's a not easy to spell name if you're not sort of familiar with it. Mm-hmm. It, like there's the there's a song by Devendra Banhart called I believe this song is for Savan, and I didn't know how to say that name for a really long time. <laughs> Even I just saw it spelled, and that's not how I thought it was pronounced at all. Oh, this beard is for Siobhan. That's what it's called. That's weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's weird. So I think here's a good question for us to end on: How much do we trust Mrs. S? Hmm. I kind of always answer this, even though everybody always kind of gives me a look when I do. I, I I trust Mrs. S. Strangely, perhaps, but um I feel like she's got good intentions, even if we maybe don't know the full story. I want to trust her is always the answer I end up giving. Well, and I guess like on a scale of like zero to meat fork. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I think I trust her because I know that she knows stuff that I don't and that the clones don't. And so I, I I'm with Chris like I want to trust her and I'm I'm more willing to kind of go with it. Although I do wish that she would sometimes be more forthcoming, but I think I also trust that she's not more forthcoming for a reason. Mhm. Well, because I think, if anything, we've established that she will do anything to protect Sarah and Kira and Felix 
Yes. And I think that's sort of the most important thing to me, because I'm weirdly deeply invested in all of these characters. So mm-hmm. anybody who's protective of them, I, I tend to want to trust, if nothing else. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of the same way. I, I've seen evidence that she is very protective of, of characters that I love very dearly. But at the same time, we I, I feel like we still have a couple of warnings hanging over our heads in regards to what Amelia says about her. And then in the beginning of season two, where Sarah asks Kira about Mrs. S, she said something like, Mrs. S has a lot of secrets and probably some of them are good, right? And Kira says, I don't, maybe, but I don't think so. Now, Kira does, like, jump back into Mrs. S's arms later in the season, so maybe her mistrust of Mrs. S was momentary, but I still have kind of those couple of moments that makes me still kind of wonder about her. Right, right, right. And I think that's fair. Well, and I think it's, you know, that's one of the things that's so fabulous about the show is that there isn't anybody really that we've been been introduced to that you feel like you can completely not trust or completely trust. You know, even like Leaky does things to help Cosima, even though he's also being manipulative. Like, you know, people's motives just aren't, they aren't pure and they aren't black and white in this world, mm-hmm. which is something I appreciate about the show. It is. It is a show that deals very clearly in shades of gray. By which I do not mean crummy book series. (laughs) Well, I'm told there are 50 and six of them are played by Tatiana Maslany. (laughs) Yes, this is for the Mrs. S podcast. This is Erin. And I just wanted to say that one of my favorite things about the Mrs. S character is that they're letting Maria actually be all these different sides instead of just being a mom like most people her age would have to play. So I appreciate Graham and John and all the other writers letting her be a fully-fledged character instead of just one-sided. And I love the way Maria plays her. Aaron had this to say about Mrs. S's trustworthiness. I want to believe S is honest when she tells Sarah in season two that she's on her side and always has been, but I can see why some fans might question her. There is a lingering question of why S adopted Sarah. Is it because she's trying to make amends for her own past deeds, or is it her being a monitor and bringing the lost clone back into the fold? Has she always been Sarah's monitor as Sarah fears? If so, is she a monitor who has the project first in mind, or is she a monitor who supports the project but also cares for the clones as individual people as well? She doesn't just see them as experiments, she feels a personal responsibility for them too. Jonathan had these comments about his favorite Mrs. S scene, at least at the moment, he says. What we do know is all that comes through of Mrs. S's character, as defined in Maria Doyle Kennedy's finely tuned performance. The combination of the maternal and the ruthless, the warm and the cool, she is duplicitous yet transparently single-minded in her aims and intentions. My favorite Mrs. S scene, her parlay with Paul in, in episode 6 of the second season. All her competing qualities are on display here. She goes out to confront Paul with a thermos of tea in hand and a gun in her pocket. Her opening Hello, Paul is delivered with a great seductive relish and is also an invitation to put the cards on the table. 
She knows more than he thinks she knows. She usually does and saves what she knows for the moment when it will have maximum leverage. She combines an ultimatum with a clear reading of Paul's situation and even better with an astute reading of Paul's character. She's able to offer Paul the one thing he seems to require the most, the sense of being in control of a situation. Mrs. S. seems to be the only one to read Paul so clearly, and the move pays dividends at the season's end. And that's another quality of Mrs. S., her overall astuteness about people, combined with an occasional blind spots. So let us know your thoughts and questions. It's mostly going to be questions, right, about Mrs. S. We'd love to hear your ideas. You can leave a comment on the show notes for this episode over at tatianaiseveryone.com slash 48. You can also send us an email to feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com, or you can send a voice message by clicking on the send voicemail tab on the right-hand side of our website. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at TIE Podcast, and we're also on Facebook. And I want to say thank you again to the bestest guest ever, my girlfriend, Susan. <laughs> thank you for having me. Thank you, Susan. If, and if you are interested, Susan runs a tarot blog over at dakotawitchdivines.wordpress.com, yes. yes. and she's a very good tarot reader. So go check her out if you're interested in such things. And we'd also like to thank everybody who's left us any reviews or ratings on iTunes or uh, Stitcher or any of those types of things. We really appreciate your reviews. They um, they give us a lot of encouragement and they help other people find the podcast. So we appreciate it. We also have a store on Zazzle. It's, it's just got a bunch of doofy, silly things and uh, some stuff with our podcast logo. Just FYI. It's uh, Zazzle.com slash Productions D-A-M-B-E-A-V-E-R Productions. Asterisk. And this week, the biscuits that Mrs. S has in her pocket and the meat fork that Brenda has in her hand were played by Tatiana Maslany. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.